Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. All right, today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have one of my closest friends, and I'm excited to bring back Jeff Spadafora. Jeff, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Now, as many of you have heard a story that I tell many times about a profound question that changed the trajectory of my life as I was working with a coach. Well, that coach was you, Jeff. Mm. And I'll never forget, as I was moving into this whole new world, you know, re-entering the world of being an entrepreneur and trying to connect with my calling. And, you know, you had coined a term that you talked about in uh, one of the interviews that we'd had previously about this place of smoldering discontent. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's exactly where I was. And I didn't know it. That's why I was just unhappy. And I've moved now into a life Honestly, every single morning, Jeff, I wake up, I'm joyful, I'm excited, even with everything going on in my life and the limitations and all still recovering from all the surgeries that I've had in the accident. Mm. And I got to share with the listeners, the reason, a big part of that reason is working with Jeff and what he has shared. And he has put everything that has, such a, has had such a profound impact in my life into a new book. And today we're going to be talking about exactly what that model is that I've applied myself that has just radically transformed not only who I am, but what I'm doing and understanding why. But as also, Jeff, it has impacted my relationship with Donna, which is better than it's ever been. Mm, cool. uh, my relationship with my boys, my three amazing kids, and, hmm. and my friends, and, and just what I'm doing. So I'm really excited about this. This is uh, an interview, everybody, that you're going to need to listen to again and again. Probably get into a quiet place later, take some notes on this, get Jeff's book and read it. Um, but Jeff, I, I would love for you to, to jump in and just tell a little bit of background about just, you know, kind of your backstory for people who maybe haven't heard your other episodes yet. And then go into, you know, really, what is the background for this, for the joy model and how did it come to be? Yeah, great. Boy, you set a high bar there for me, John. Thanks for putting the pressure on. Well, you're like an <laughs> Olympic high jumper. I, I have no worries, my friend. Oh, man. Well, great. So, yeah, just some of my background. You know, I was, um, I was a management consultant for many years with a, with a focus on executive and leadership development. And um, I was having a, a bit of success in doing that, uh, but it was empty for me. It was, I was experiencing that smoldering discontent, John, that you referred to, and uh, I was really stuck because I was kind of just playing the, the, the game of life using the American Dream playbook, and um, I was you know, having some um, traction gained according to that playbook, but in my heart, I just wasn't experiencing joy, and I had stepped away from the faith for quite a bit, and at one point in time, I was just starting to see that there's a, a real life of joy that's to be had, uh, as promised in Scripture, and I was looking at that and just realizing, I'm not experiencing that, and so I was stuck. I read this book called Halftime that a friend recommended to me. And um, it's just a book that says, you know, this is, 
This is a book for somebody for whom the pursuits of your first half have just gone stale. Just mm. not as interesting or as alluring anymore. Yeah. And, and that was me. And so I, I ended up reading that book. I enrolled at the Halftime Institute, um, which is an organization that helps people figure out their calling for their second half of life. And, um, and I popped out on the other end of that experiencing, experience realizing, you know, my calling is to help people figure out their calling. So just about 11 years ago, I joined uh, the halftime team, and I brought my experience in the world of human behavior change and executive coaching to the Halftime Institute. And so I've been coaching people on this whole life purpose issue for a real long time now, um, hundreds of people. And um, what I started to do was I started to ask people about six or seven years ago, why do you want to know your life purpose? So like if you figured it out. question, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So like if you figured it out, what would you then hope to be experiencing at a heart level? So it's the why behind this desire for figuring out meaning and purpose. And the, the, the words that kept bubbling up in response to that were peace, contentment, fulfillment, and joy. Joy was the most frequent one. And so really what was going on is people were at a season of life where they felt like the best means to the end of, ex- of experiencing peace, contentment, fulfillment, and joy is to discover and get engaged in the life purpose. And they're correct in that assumption. When you, when you get your skills and you get your passions all lined up with God's will for your life and God's specific plan for why he put you on this planet, and you get that going, you're going to have an uptick, uptick in joy. But there's more to it than just that. It's not just about what are you going to do. It's about who are you going to be and who is God continuing to shape you to be. And so there's this doing and this being dimension that's a, a critical component, this dual pathway to experiencing the joy that we read about in Scripture. You now, Jeff, when you say the word joy, what is your definition of joy? Yeah, it's, that's a really important uh, point, John. I, you know, I kind of interweave the concepts of peace, contentment, fulfillment, and joy kind of together. I don't know if that's, you could consider that sloppy, but it's just that, <laughs> that deep sense of well-being, like all is well with my soul. This is just good. So I kind of lump those notions, if you will, together. The big thing that we separate out, however, is the difference between those ideas, between joy and happiness. Mm. Happiness is circumstantial. So, you know, when work is going great, my health is going great, my my uh, relationships are going great. Well, I'm happy. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? But when, when the inevitable curveball hits in any of those different parts of your life, um, happiness will evaporate in a minute. Whereas joy is this per- pervading, all-consistent sense of, of peace and contentment and, and well-being regardless of the circumstances, as Apostle Paul said, it's the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I, I was not experiencing that 
back in 2005 when I was going through halftime. In fact, my wife, Michelle, would say, Jeff, you, you have happiness, but it's always a direct correlation to how your consulting practice is going. Mm. So, so if the joy sounds like it's an internal, intrinsic uh, property, and happiness is really external. Bingo. That's it. Joy is really sort of a, it's really kind of a worldview mm-hmm. and, a, and a, sense of, a sense of who is God, who am I, and therefore what do I go do? So that's where the, the, the being and the doing. The, the, the big question on the being side is who is God and who am I? And then the key questions on the doing side are what do I do with my time, my treasure, my talent, my temple, and my tribe. My tribe would be all of my relationships, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors. Yeah. Um, and so the being and the doing go together. And the being informs the doing and the the challenge for many of the folks that i coach which are which are very similar to your demographic john on eternal leadership is christian business people the challenge for many christians that are in this season where they're just kind of not experiencing the joy that they read about in scripture and that they assume everybody else is experiencing, so they just kind of clam up because they're embarrassed or they don't think they're spiritual enough, mm. when in fact it, nobody <laughs> seems to be experiencing this joy. Do you hear that from a lot of people, what you just said? I, I do. There's, this, there's an assumption that I must be missing something because everybody mm. else is happy. And this is kind of the, the danger of comparison. It's kind of the danger of Facebook, right? I mean, people only put up the best 5% of their life on Facebook. They don't put up the other 95%. So you think everybody else has got it dialed in, and you must be missing the boat on something. Yeah. And so there's, a, there's this big disconnect. And what most people go to when they say, okay, I want to fix this problem, is they think, I, want to go, I need to go do something differently. Because I've got the being stuff figured out. I know who God is. I know that I'm, um, um, I'm holy and blameless in his sight. So, okay, Jesus stuff, check the box. Let's go get busy doing stuff. You know, let's go make some adjustments to how I manage my time, talent, treasure, temple, and tribes. And, well, and there's also a lot of you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, that are, they're also, we're, we're kind of hardwired into the doing of things too, aren't we? Well, absolutely, John. You're right, because what happens is most entrepreneurs and business people, um, they are in this positive feedback loop of assessing a situation, taking action, and good results follow. Right. So you do that for 20 to 30 years. I mean, you do that from age you know, 22 to age you know, 49, and you start to realize that, you know what? A bunch of hard effort, my creativity, my brain power, and my work ethic, it, it results in a positive uptick. But what happens is that, that methodology of taking action on, on focusing on the doing and not focusing on the being, it doesn't work when it comes to joy. And most, what I find with most Christian business people is a lot of it has to do with their theology. A lot of it has to do with that most people have sort of a John 3.16 type of theology. It's like, yeah, I profess Christ as my Savior. I'm going to heaven. All's good when I die, even though right now and between now and then it's not so great. And they're living in this John 3.16 paradigm, 
but they're not really living a John 10.10 paradigm, which is life and life to the full, nor are they just naturally flowing with the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and 23. They're trying to be joyful, trying to be patient, trying to be loving, to be kind, to be gentle, all the nine uh, fruits of the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, but they're, they're not actually just naturally having that flow out of them. And so what's happening is, is people know about the gospel, but they're not experiencing it. They're still living under a performance orientation or a guilt orientation. There's no real or a comparison freedom. orientation, right? Comparison, which will drive, which will drive the fear, which can drive shame, and and so what happens is they're just not living with courage. They mm. they've got this they've got this you know Christian doctrine, but they're not free in that doctrine. So and what does it, living with courage look like, Jeff? It, to me, it's to it's one of the biggest thing. Like you said on the comparison, one of the key ways I see it happen is that they are they could care less about what other people think. They care about people, but they care less about what other people think about their lives, how they're living their lives, what decisions they're making, what their income is, what their title is, what their role is. They just don't care because they are so dialed into the kingdom perspective that there is a whole spiritual reality Around, around freedom and, and my worthiness that comes through Christ. They're so, they're so in that zone that they only have one audience in the world to please, and that's God. And I'd say, secondly, their spouse if they're married. Mm. And so when you can get just sort of dialed in on, on really who is God and who am I in relationship to him and who has he designed me to be, then then you start to just make a different set of decisions, which to other people it looks like courage, but to you it's kind of common sense. You know, I, I think about, I had somebody say to me not long ago, you know, Jeff, you live with such courage. And I didn't really know what to say in the moment, but I thought about it afterwards. And what I realized is over the, over the 16 years that I've been a Christian, I've given tiny little pieces of my agenda to God. And every time I've handed it over to him, he's blessed me in some way. And, and I'm not talking like prosperity gospel, but he's just, there's just been some sort of breakthrough in how I see the world and how I, my heart feels. And so if you do that with God, say, you know, 42 times, and he's 42 for 42, you know, you don't, you don't second guess handing over a piece of your agenda the 43rd time. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's, not, it's not courage. It's now become common sense. Why wouldn't I trust God? And the challenge for most Christians is they feel like they've got this thing figured out, but there's always another level of spiritual growth and maturity. But they would rather opt for the doing thing because it's active. It's, it's powerful. Whereas the being stuff, I mean, spiritual growth, it's kind of, it seems so mystical. It seems sort of, you know, so contemplative. And it's like, is there really any more joy, any more, any more juice to be squeezed out of that? I've kind of got that figured out. My problem isn't on the doing side, it's on the being side. Well, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, how does a business owner think about setting goals for spiritual development, right? That's, 
yeah. probably their mindset, right? <clears throat> what would my goal be for that? How would I do it? Yeah, and there's actually there's nothing wrong with that because because here's the deal with grace is most people say, well, gee, you know, as soon as you set a goal, now you get into all this legalism and you kind of ruin the whole thing. <laughs> I disagree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, grace is a gift, but it's kind of like a Christmas gift. You know, you gotta you gotta get up off the couch, you gotta walk over, you gotta unwrap the present, you read the instruction manual, and you engage with that gift. Well. That's what we do need to do with our faith. I mean, there are spiritual disciplines. There Mm -hmm. are spiritual disciplines that don't have to be so nebulous and so confusing. There are things that you can engage in that over time uh, will help you grow in your faith. And so setting goals around spiritual growth is not a bad thing. And what would that look like, Jeff? Well, you know, if you look at just some of the, the key traditional uh, spiritual disciplines. If you ask people about that, the first two that jump to people mind, people's mind is to read the Bible and pray more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's good. Those are two good places to start. But there's two things to think about. Number one is, are you doing those effectively and frequently enough? And then secondly, there's more to our spiritual growth than just reading the Bible and praying. So let's go to the first thing, the first element. Am I doing it effectively? I mean, have you really been taught or read a book on how to read the Bible and really how to study it and how to mine the truth out of it and apply it to your life? And many people haven't. So they're just kind of reading the Bible in this rote way and hoping something magical is going to happen. And then additionally layer on to that, okay, even if you have been trained in that way to really, to really approach the Bible, not for information, but for transformation, mm-hmm. um, how frequently are you doing it? And so there's a, there's a great study that was done by the American Bible Society with over 100,000 people, which is clearly a statistically valid sample size. And they, they, they asked the question, Um, If there is a Christian who, according to their neighbors, are living observably different than somebody else that also calls them a Christian, what is the real difference that's causing that observable behavior that that your neighbors could see? And they found out it had nothing to do with how long a person's been a Christian, nothing to do with denominations, nothing to do with frequency of going to church. It was, were they having at least four meaningful engagements with Scripture per week? And what does meaningful engagement mean? Meaningful engagement means, and and you can go see this uh, study on their website, but meaningful engagement means where they are focused, their minds are calm, their hearts are settled, and they're looking at the scripture, and they're digging into what is the real truth behind this scripture, and how does it apply to my life? Now, some people can do that in, in you know, 20 minutes. Some people need an hour. There is a skill around that. Um, and so that, that is a meaningful engagement where they are connected through the Holy Spirit, through scripture, and they're letting it change the way they see the world and the way they interact with it. And, and so, so the, the question is, am I good at it? Have I been trained be, to be good at this? And how frequently am I doing it? It's the same with prayer. You know, have you really learned how to pray? Have you, have you interviewed the people whose prayer lives that you most admire? Have you, have you read any books on prayer? 
How frequently do you pray? How frequently do you experiment with different ways to pray? And so these are all really specific action-oriented things that you can do that are on the being side of the joy, joy model. Now, all this has come about over not only your journey, but working and coaching with thousands of people going through this process. And yeah. you know, so what led to you kind of putting together what has become the joy model, Jeff? Well, here's a big part of it. The big part of it is a lot of people that we were working with who said, I want to know my, my uh, calling and I want to go move the needle in the kingdom and I'm going to go, you know, going to go on this doing journey. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people, talented, smart, well-resourced, well-connected people move the needle in God's kingdom. I'm talking souls going to heaven, you know, bellies filled in the name of Jesus um, you know, poverty eradicated, big time stuff done by these Christian business folks, and yet they're still miserable. Mm. And that was like, whoa, what was going on? And sometimes not just miserable, but sometimes they'd have these flare up kind of meltdowns where like all of a sudden they're embroiled in a divorce or they're, they're in some sort of a nasty lawsuit. And it's just like, whoa. How does, this per, how does this happen to this person? And, and really what it is is that there was, there was, they, they may have gotten some of their doing um, focused, but their being was still unhealthy. They were still at sort of a, a shallow level of, of the true freedom of the gospel in their heart. And so it, I just started to scratch my head and say, what's going on here? And so I, I really started to pay attention to what are some of the best practices on both the being and doing side of this journey that are leading people to not just the impact, but are leading them to, to their, their own personal joy? And it's interesting as I talk about this, John, because a lot of people will say, well, you know, Jeff, it's not about us. It's not about us and our joy and our happiness and our spiritual buzz. And I'll say absolutely. But here's the deal. God desperately wants his followers to be joyful. And the reason for it is because our ultimate aim is to glorify God. And so if we know that our joy is coming from God, and then we share that, then God gets glorified. And, and the whole definition of glorification is that people stand up and say, huh, look at that guy's joy. It's coming from God. Maybe I should second-guess my opinion about God. And so, so God wants us to be joyful and let people know that it's coming from Him because it gets people curious about Him again. And that's God's ultimate goal, is to, is to get people drawn back to Him who are separated from Him. And so this is God's plan, is for us to have joy, for us to um, know that it comes from Him and to let others know that it comes from Him so that He becomes more attractive and more people can experience the truth of the, of the gospel. Well, you know, as you're talking about this being and making these internal changes, and it really struck me, right, all these yeah. people you've worked with who've had, you know, done these incredible things with these huge impacts, but they're still, you know, internally, they're, they're still not happy. Yeah. Uh, so as we work, and I know your, your process, the, this joy model walks people through this, what would you describe, if somebody goes through this process, what is that person that they're being that really pulls all this together? 
Yeah, so the first thing I would say is it is a journey. Mm. It is definitely a journey. It is not sort of a decision and a project plan that you go execute against. Um, you know, th- that's a part of what's attractive on the doing side. If you take some of the, the you just look at the talent and, and the, the listener base that you have, John, if these people really focused their energy they could within within three months. They could really start making a difference in God's kingdom and in people's lives in Christ's name. They could do that in three months. I believe that. You know, but but that's really just a redistribution of your energy, and it's not really a transformation of who you are. And that takes a little bit longer. Mm. And it's it's you know, like I like to say, it's it's more like growing corn than popping it. <laughs> and and so the the challenge with this this journey thing is twofold. Um, first of all, it's like I said, it, it seems a little squishy and nebulous and, and mysterious. But there there's actually a way to break it down into some uh, specific uh, tactics and disciplines. But secondly, it's really kind of painful <laughs> because when you start to lean into who is God and who am I. You don't just see how awesome God is and the cool gifts that he's given you. You also see how awesome God is and how short I come up relative to his goodness. Hmm. And most people just kind of don't want to go there. They just don't want to deal with some of the, you know, the brokenness from the past or the shame from the past or the fear and so they'd rather, instead of deal with some of those dark spaces, um, they'd rather just go perform for God. And, and really searching a person's heart, and, and I mean, even just the phrase, search my heart and know my wicked ways. It's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be painful. Um, but, to, but to start to see where I come up short, and then instead of feeling like God is judging me, to realize God's cheering me on. He's not mad at me. He's sad for me. And so the more that we can see how we don't quite stack up to God's righteousness, the, the more we're actually we're excited because that's the whole point of Jesus is, look, look, I don't care where you are. I'm going to bridge the gap for you. That's how much I love you. So there's no shame. There's no condemnation. Yeah, you got, you got some skeletons in your closet. Who doesn't? Dust yourself off. Lean into me. Trust that I don't just love you. I actually like you, and I'm cheering you on, and I'm in your corner. And here's the pathway moving forward. Read the scriptures. Go do it. And so there's a whole paradigm on how to lean into Christ. You know, I had one client who said, Jeff, my problem every time I go to scripture is I just I can picture my mother's wagging finger saying to me, you're never going to really measure up. Hmm. And so many people, what they do is they kind of transpose sort of broken father and mother relationships onto their relationship with God, and God's not that way. And, and the thing of it is people know this. This is, like not, this is not new news. This is not new theology. The problem is they haven't been able to make it their reality. And so what I'm trying to do in my book and in my coaching is help people kind of go from theology to reality, from head to heart. And it's a, it's a bigger gap than you might think, but it is bridgeable. Well, I'd love for you to share a little bit about what the joy model is, Jeff. 
Yeah. Well, so the joy model, as I mentioned, it, it's really sort of this doing and being balance. And it, it's really, you know, as a former consultant, I, could, I can't explain anything without a four-quadrant model. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little hard to explain via, via words, but it's really getting this balance between um, my energy and my growth on both the being and the doing dimensions. And so that model helps people kind of chart where they are, but then there's a different model to help you move up and to the right. So, you know, most, most four-quadrant window um, models, it's the upper right-hand quadrant where you want to be. And so the process for, for navigating up and to the right is what I call the master plan, uh, and it's an acrostic, M-A-S-T-E-R. And the very first step is around margin. Margin specifically in your calendar. This is probably the number one joy suck in most people's lives of, of those that I'm coaching is busyness. Busyness is just crushing people. There's so many things that they want to do with their lives, but they're just trapped into this uh, hamster wheel life. And most people approach margin with all sorts of, you know, time management techniques and efficiency techniques and delegation techniques. And those can definitely buy you some space in your calendar. But really what I find is the, 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 the root cause of busyness is, is divided values, either unclear values or extremely clear values, but I'm not living my life in alignment with them. So there's this great dissonance. And, and so people want this space, and they, they, they need this space for two reasons. One is because just chilling out is not a bad thing. Just relaxing and having some space in your calendar instead of always having to fill up every minute of it. That's just, there's just a freedom and a, and a stress relief that comes from that. But the other reason why margin is so critical to joy is that if you're going to start doing things differently, either on the doing or the being access of this joy model, you're going to have to put some strategic thinking and intentional planning into that. And this was a hard thing for me. When I was going through my whole transition, it just dawned on me. It's like, hey, Jeff, you know what? If you want your life to change, you're going to have to change something about your life. So, so what's going to give? And so I had to create space to reevaluate what am I doing with my life and what is my relationship with God on the being access. And so getting that space is, is really its job number one. If you, can't, if you can't put some intentionality into this, you're fooling yourself that your life is going to change. Hmm. So that's step number one. Step number two is the A of the master acrostic is abide. Spend time with God. So no matter where you are and how much you think you've got your, your faith figured out, I would just try to make it a fun challenge to say, okay, what do I need to do to take it to the next level? And this is a hard thing for people. You know, if you, if you look at most of the models that are out there around spiritual growth and maturity, what they'll say is that, you know, say it's a five-stage uh, five spiritual growth model. Say, you could explain stage three to somebody at stage two, and they'll understand it but not be able to experience it. But if you try to explain stage four 
to somebody who's at stage two. They have no idea what you're even talking about. Mm. They, don't, they don't even get it. It just sounds like gobbledygook. It sounds like you know, mysticism or some weird spirituality. But, but the, the key there is just to challenge yourself that there is always another you know, movement up and to the right around your faith, around your, your understanding of who is God, what is his character, how does he see me, how do I relate to him. You know, one of the most frustrating phrases in the, in, in the Christian world is, you know, to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, people don't know what that means half the time. And so they need to be coached into that and to grow into that to really understand, well, what does intimacy with the Holy Spirit really look like? And so this, once you get the margin, my strong encouragement is to take whatever newfound time you've captured and put it into abiding. And so in the book, we talk not just about prayer and about, um, about reading the Bible, but we talk about silence. We talk about solitude. We talk about fasting. We talk about service. And all these different disciplines, journaling, that can lead to these, to these little you know, mini epiphanies on your spiritual growth plan. And, and the truth of the matter, John, is that's where the joy is really at. It's on the being side. In fact, Psalm 1611 says, In thy presence is the fullness of joy. Meaning we can, be, we can have 100% of our joy just by being with God. We don't even have to do anything on the doing side. The doing side is merely an outflow and an overflow and an expression of all the joy that we're experiencing from the being side. It, it flows, it's like an apple tree. An apple tree doesn't have to force itself to grow apples. The apples just flow out. Mm. They don't, they don't, oranges don't pop out, grapes don't pop out. They're not, you know, sinning <laughs> by doing something other than their nature. They're just flowing. And so the, the real joy is on the being and the doing is just so much easier. It just is organic and easy as breathing. Well, that is so powerful because what you're really talking about is moving from a place of knowing God, knowing about God, to really truly experiencing God in, in really a personal way. Absolutely. It, it's just this deep down belief that, you know, God didn't die for humanity. He died for me as well as humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and he just wants me back. And as soon as I profess to, to try to follow that way back, there's nothing that can take me off of that track. There's no condemnation. There's no sin. There's nothing that can, that can, that can stop me from being adopted as, as the Son of God, co-heir to Christ. If you can get that into your heart and not just have it sound like some preacher, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a game changer. It is a huge game changer around the freedom and the courage that comes from that. But most people are stuck at theology and not reality. And so helping people go through that. Now, the next step is self-awareness. This is where people say, okay, if this is God, who am I? And to look at the, you know, what I call the good, the bad, the ugly. The good is, you know, he's given me some really unique gifts, some natural talents and perhaps some supernatural spiritual gifts. And he's given me these cool experiences in, through formal education, through just life experiences, through, through work experience. I've got this whole sort of arsenal of talent and skill and knowledge 
that's really good that God's given me that I can now use in some way. So that's the good stuff. The bad stuff is that, you know, I've got some brokenness. I've got some sin patterns. I've got some negative thinking patterns that kind of hold me back. And then the ugly is, is some of the shame that's typically rooted in some sort of a lie about who you are. It's some sort of a lie that Satan's planted in your brain, kind of like the guy who said it's a, he could just, every time he read scripture, he could see his mom's wagging finger. Mm-hmm. Well, God's not wagging your finger. So you somehow got this lie implanted in your brain when you were a young kid, and you haven't gotten freed from it. And so there's this good, this bad, this ugly. And to dig into, if I ever write another book, and I'm not sure I ever will, I enjoyed the process, but I feel like there's enough good books out there. People just need to read the ones that have already been written. If I, <laughs> if I was gonna, if I was gonna write one, it would be around this whole area of really understanding yourself and and being freed up um, to to lean into the good and being freed up um, from the bad and the ugly and just start living with just incredible confidence. And so helping a person get clear on that stuff is next. And then there's, the, there's the, um, the T, and there's actually two T's. One is your temple. A huge, a huge negative impact on people's level of joy has to do with physical things that they could have prevented. So I think about you and your accident, John. Uh, probably, I mean, if you didn't go on that trip, maybe, maybe it wouldn't have happened. But that was a little bit out of your hands. It's, yeah. But a lot, of people's, a lot of people's lack of joy comes from health issues that if they paid attention to their temple, this place where the Holy Spirit is now residing, they could have avoided all of these distractions in their life. And so it's this whole paradigm of shifting from, you know, health is about looking good or feeling good or, or performing well athletically and move it to, no, I need to be healthy so that I can be a channel for God's love out into the world. It ain't about me. And so getting your temple taken care of with the right sleep and exercise and nutrition is a huge step towards joy to the extent, again, that you can control it. The other piece is around treasure. This is a giant, you know, joy suck in people's lives as they've got all these sort of, um, you know, broken theology around money, uh, either in the, in the form of greed or in the form of fear or some sort of poverty mentality. Um, but it, it's people that don't really have a biblical worldview of how does money work and to start to see money as, as an awesome slave but a horrible master. Right. And, and, and to start to understand how much is really enough for me and my spouse and my family, you know, to dig into some of those questions. Um, and so, um, you know, both at the Halftime Institute through our coaching but also through my book, the joy model is helping people sort of reorient a new paradigm uh, around money and how it fits into their life and how God's or- organized it to work in the world. So those are big pieces. And then there's the, the engage piece. And this is really back to the life purpose piece where, we, where all of this started, right? Is I want to engage in the good works that God planned in advance for me to do. It's my destiny. It's my calling. I need to step into it. I want to engage in the cause or the issue 
that makes me mad, that makes me sad, that makes me glad. That makes God mad, sad, and glad. I just am at a stage where it's enough about me. I'm ready to sink my teeth into something I could really get fired up about to make a positive difference in the world and in my fellow human beings. And in that whole process of figuring out what are you passionate about and what are you good at and how does it fit either in the context. You know, I talk about when it comes to engaging, I talk about the three ends. So I could live out my calling inside of my current work platform in parallel to it or instead of it. And that notion right there is often a big breakthrough for Christian business guys because they're, they're, they're thinking binary. They're thinking, okay, I need to be you know, sort of a, a second-class Christian because I've decided to be in the marketplace. Because really Christians, what they do is they go to the mission field. Well, that's just a bunch of baloney. In fact, I think there's a case to be made that we need more Christians, not in churches and in parachurch ministries. We need more Christians in businesses and in courtrooms and in classrooms and in factories. And so for many people to realize, man, I can be an all-in Christian living out specifically my role in the world and, and still stay on my current platform, that's freeing for people. That, is that a kind of a breakthrough thought for a lot of people? It's huge. It's huge because for whatever reason, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's different denominational traditions or whatever, but there's just this sense that, that you know, if you're, if you're, if you're, you can't be a real Christian in the marketplace because you're obviously selfish or greedy or whatever. That's just, it's just wrong. And, um, What's cool, I think, in the last five or six years, and I think your, your podcast is evidence of this, John, is that people are, are not thinking that way. I mean, business as mission is really happening right now. The people are just saying, man, the workplace is an awesome place to minister to people. And, and in fact, if, in some respects, you think about it, it's, if you're a business owner or you have influence in your business, you could, actually, you could actually help people grow in their faith better at work than you can in a church. A church only has people for an hour and a half a week, whereas you got them at work for, for 40 plus hours a week. So the relational intensity is much higher. Now, the, the challenge for many, for many Christian business guys, though, is what they're trying to do is they're saying, hey, I want to create this, this God-honoring work culture, this awesome environment that honors God, that has Judeo-Christian principles and values. Our policies and procedures are aligned with that. Um, they're doing all that stuff, but at the same time, their employees and their customers and their suppliers are looking at them and they're seeing a guy living in fear, or they're seeing a guy who's just driving, 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 all under their own strength. So what happens is, is again, it, it, this is a person who says, hey, I'm going to go down the doing path in my work and make this God-glorifying, but in my being path, I haven't really become free. Hmm. But my encouragement is experience the gospel first. And do that, maybe not first, it doesn't have to be sequential, but do it in parallel to sharing the gospel. Experience it first. It's kind of like, like, have you, in the last month, John, have you recommended a book, a movie, or a restaurant to a friend? Yes. Yeah. So here's the deal. You didn't have to be trained 
on how to share that. You experienced that book, that movie, or that restaurant. And so you just, that is like, this is what happened to me. And this is what's going on with me. And you don't need some tips or techniques on how to, you know, evangelize around that book, movie, or, or a restaurant. And so this is, I think, the challenge for many uh, Christian businessmen is they're, they're trying to create this structure that honors God. And that's a great intention and a noble quest. But the foundation of it is, is not solidified in their, in their own hearts around, I'm free. I'm experiencing joy. So they're really not, they're trying to do it, but they're not coming from a, this authentic place because who they're being is, is out of alignment with really who you can be when you're in that, just that personal relation covenant with, with Jesus. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, and when you say out of integrity, I, I think I know what you mean. It's not like they're being duplicitous. Mm-hmm. Is I mean, again, they're, they're trying. We're all trying. You know, I got a feeling I'm going to look back five years from now and say, okay, hey, Jeff, when you were doing that podcast with John, you thought you were at some spiritual growth point. And, man, you were so immature back then compared <laughs> to now. So, so we're all trying. But all I'm saying is that, is that until we can really tap into the vine and really just become the branch through which the fruit gets produced. The fruit's always going to be a little bit measly. It's not going to be as robust as if we're really tapped into the vine and all of the energy and all of the inspiration is flowing out of a relationship with Christ. And I know, I know right now, John, probably half of your listeners are saying, oh my goodness, could this be any more spiritual mumbo-jumbo? But I'm <laughs> telling you, it's the truth and there's a way to break it down into actionable steps. It's a learnable process to grow in this area. Well, when I say integrity, and you just nailed it right now, I'm really talking about, you know, you said before, right, two big questions we have to answer is who is God and who am I? And that comes about abiding in self-awareness. And I think as, you know, you create that margin time, you work on this area, you understand, because I remember one of the most powerful questions you ever asked me when we first started working together. Uh, I said to you, we were sitting at that Starbucks, and hmm. I said, I got to figure out, Jeff, how I'm wired. And you said, John, what if you asked it a different way? What if you asked yourself, how did God wire you? Hmm. And that might sound, Jeff, like a subtle difference for people listening, but as I really dug in you know, in just in Ephesians 2.10, right? I am Christ's workmanship. Everything that's in my life, everything that he knit together, you know, and, and let, if we can shed away some of those lies, those false beliefs, those limiting beliefs, those, those mindsets that have just been piled on that, you know, that I have put in there, mm-hmm. they're not true to who I was created to be and created to do. That's what I'm talking about. It's actually moving toward that integrity of that self-knowledge that is really, I, I think that awareness is driven by the you know, Holy Spirit working in our life and talking about you know, everything that you've been putting together. From that place has been, is allowed me to make many transformational, and I say transformational uh, is in a permanent change for yeah. the better, for positive change. Yeah. And so, yes, this, I, I know this is some, some deep conversation we're having, <laughs> but the fruit 
it's almost like taking that, you know, when you graft a, a you know a grape branch into the vine. It's it's not until that graft becomes nice and nice and healthy, and that sap and that nourishment mm-hmm. from the vine can flow out into that, or from the from that root can flow out into that branch that then you have full and healthy fruit. And that's really what you're talking about is grafting yourself in, in a very healthy way. Absolutely. And, and the more you do that, the more you can answer that question, how did God wire me and come up with a real answer? Like for instance, as I was just trying to grow in my own self-awareness, so this self-awareness in the, in the master acrostic is huge. Um, one thing that I got really good at in the consulting world is I could go into a Fortune 1000 company and I could really navigate the bureaucracies and the politics and I could identify different people's agenda that had power and control in the organization and I could craft an executive and leadership development strategy that would meet everybody's agenda. It was like a really kind of unique skill around how to get things done and how to sell big consulting projects. And so as I was going through this whole transformation, I, I kept thinking, how can I repurpose that skill for the glory of God? Yeah. And then one day it hit me. It hit me. Yeah, you've gotten good at it, but you never have enjoyed it. In fact, John, the more I looked at it, the more I realized that was born, that skill was born of fear. And it was born of pride that I was forced to get good at that because I was afraid of how other people might perceive me if I failed or if I wasn't as successful as I wanted to be. And I just realized that's not a, that's not a, a real gift. That's, that's a human gift, not a God-given gift. And so when I just released it, and I just took that off the table and said, I'm not going to worry about that. What do I really enjoy doing? What am I really good at that's as easy as breathing? It's not hard work. It's not fear-based. It's not managing other people's opinion-based. And those kind of breakthroughs, if you, can, if you can get some of those epiphanies over time, it frees you up to be who you've really been designed to be. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. So that's kind of a movement of, from the false self, you know, the, the self that, that has become attached to your career or your industry or your title or maybe some sort of uh, perception of yourself that like a, you know, a high school coach, you know, imputed on you to get, to get unshackled from all that stuff and just say, okay, that's, that stuff is all false. Who am I really? Bridging that gap, oh man, that's just that's just awesome. That's where the freedom and the joy comes from. And then you just have full license to just go live your life without any concerns about how people are perceiving you. Would you say, you know, the people that truly move into both joy while, you know, making this significant impact in the kingdom, it sounds to me like what we're talking about right now is really one of the critical keys to success in this area. Absolutely. And, and it's not necessarily, John, it's not necessarily sequential. Like, okay, you know, don't go do anything out in the world in a positive way until you get your spiritual act together. It's not oh, what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is 
you should go do stuff because what happens is that there's really two sides to, to growing. Um, one is sort of introspection. You know, you start to learn about yourself. As you start to better understand God and better connect with Him, you start to learn about yourself through introspection. But you also learn about yourself through exploration, through the doing side. So go out and do some of this stuff. Experiment with different ways to use your time, talent, and treasure. And then step back and say, well, what did I learn? Is that, was that interesting? Was I effective? Did it glorify God? Is it the right platform? And so there's learning in the doing. And so they need to go health, healthfully in, uh, in parallel. But what happens is some people tip too far to one side or the other. You know, there's some people who kind of go into monk mode. Say, well, I'm just waiting patiently on the Lord. I've had people say this to me, John, where it's like, so what have you been doing to figure this out, your life purpose and to experience more meaning and joy? Well, I've been waiting patiently on the Lord and I've been praying. I was like, okay, so how long have you been doing that? Oh, about five years. (laughs) It's like, okay. So don't go into monk mode. I love that. Don't go into monk mode. Stay action-oriented, but be thoughtful, be prayerful. And, you know, the way I look at it is, is kind of this cycle of life where it's pray, act, adjust. Pray, act, adjust. And you're doing that on both the, the, the being side and the doing side, and it's, it's just growth. And just look at this as kind of this really fun learning curve about, about who you're becoming and, and what are some of the cool things you could go do in the world. And don't get stressed over the pace of it. Just enjoy the growth of it. Now, what is the R in master? I don't think we've So the R is, this is huge, because this is you know, one of the other areas of a person's life that I see can cause some of the greatest lack of joy. It's relationships. Mm. And some of the, the, the um, most frequent self-inflicted you know, joy destroyers in a person's lives are, um, are just their relationships, you know, starting with their spouse, their kids, their co-workers, their neighbors. And, the, you know, the, the challenge here is kind of twofold. It's one is it's sort of your heart. It, it's just what's, what's causing me to not be loving with these people? And a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll say, geez, you know, I've been kind of a jerk to my wife and I've been impatient with my kids and I've got to buckle down. I've got to be more loving and more patient. And my, my challenge to you is that's all do orientation. My challenge is to think about the B side. Instead of acting more loving and more patient, see what you can do to become more loving and patient. So I'm not, I'm not acting that way. I actually am that way. It's true fruit of the Spirit. So that's number one, is to just try to, try to grow in that area. The, the second piece is really a skill thing. It, it's really particularly around the issue of, um, of conflict resolution. Just how do you have a healthy, emotionally charged conversation without having it spiral out of control into a fight or distrust. And this goes, you know, not just, you know, most people think conflict resolution at work, but I'm talking spouse, kids, siblings, parents, neighbors. And if you can manage those conversations well in a healthy way, um, that's a big uptick in your joy. That is a, 
you know, that's interesting as you're talking about that. I, that is so right. I, I love the point, right? It's not about saying, well, this hasn't been working out with my wife or kids, so I, I just need to act nicer. But you're not really addressing that root cause that's actually maybe in that moment. We, we call it TFA, thought, feeling, and action. Yes. You know, as you go back and say, what was the, th you know, as soon as I started to have that anger, I felt it right in my gut, right? What actually caused that thought? Because if I'm just trying to address that action without addressing the heart issue and that thought issue, yeah. I'm, actually, I'm not going to actually make any improvements over time on how I'm showing up. Yep. And, and, and John, when you look at that TFA sequence, uh, and you use, let's say, anger as an example or impatience as an example. Mm -hmm. Typically, what the, 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 the escalation of that, it starts at the thought of, I need to get stuff done because I need to control things because I want people to perceive me well. And if I don't do it, it ain't going to get done. So that's the thought. So they're, they're living in this, this, this fear of how other people are going to perceive them. So the feeling is, as soon as somebody gets in the way of my being efficient, productive, or, or, or you know, getting some traction on this element of my life that I'm trying to control, as soon as I start feeling that, my action is to get impatient or angry because you don't realize it, but at a subconscious level, this person is threatening your ability to control different parts of your life that you're trying to control other people's perceptions of you. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's mm -hmm. kind of the escalation. So when you, can, when you can blow up the thought, the underlying belief or fear or the lie, which is you don't need to control things, that, that God approves of you, you don't need man's approval, when you can release that, then you're not, you don't have a death grip on every part of your life. And so when somebody gets in the way of, a per, of, of your project, you actually just say, hey, this is a God moment. I can respond either with anger or I can just trust God's going to get this thing done. And I can respond with love and I'm going to act that way. And so if you, can, if, if you can attack the fallacy of your thoughts that are manifesting itself in these negative behaviors, that's where the, that's where the games won or lost. Mm. Well, you know, as we wrap up and people are listening, Jeff, what are just some final thoughts you'd like to leave with everybody? Well, I think the big thing is this whole margin deal. Um, you know, listening to a podcast or even reading a book, it's just this whole thing about... Um, you know, getting, getting a sort of boost in attitude or optimism is one thing, but to really create the space in your life to say, I'm going to stop just thinking about change and I'm going to be intentional about it. And it's even the case with my book. Reading the book isn't going to do anything for you. Reading the book and doing it, you know, that's where the change is going to be. And so, um, you know, if you, can, if you can create the space to lean into these questions, that's going to be critical. And I want to challenge you, again, that, you know, after you've exhausted all the time management techniques and delegation techniques and efficiency techniques, after you've exhausted all of those um, methodologies for getting space in your calendar, I encourage you to look at your values and to understand what are, the, what are the underlying values that you espouse, 
and what are the values that you're actually living and to get brutally honest with yourself and when you can do that then and this is something that happened to me it, at one point, I had a big breakthrough on what God was calling me to do. And I, when I looked at my calendar, it was just obvious that I had a lot of things on my calendar that actually weren't supporting what I really believed in. And it made it easier to responsibly step away from those commitments and those activities. But if you don't know what you really stand for, what you really care about, you're going to throw everything on your calendar in the hopes that you know, one of them will work for you. And so what I always say is if you want to get capacity in your calendar, get conviction about your calling. And then all the other stuff on your calendar that doesn't correlate to driving that calling will become clear and you can step away from it. Wow, what a powerful way to wrap up. Thank you so much for this time. And Jeff, where the, your book, The Joy Model, where, where do people go get it? How do they get in touch with you? Yeah, just go to thejoymodel.com. Um, you can order the book there. Um, I've got a blog going there where people are having a conversation about being and doing and different aspects of the master plan. So just thejoymodel.com. All right, everybody, thejoymodel.com. This is a book you need to read. Working with Jeff, having gone through this process one-on-one with Jeff, having Jeff as a coach has, has been an absolute game-changer for me personally. And I'm just excited that you've brought this out in a book to just share with the world, Jeff, you know, outside of what you can do with one-on-one coaching. And I really um laud you and appreciate you and respect you for putting in all the incredible hard work that it took to create this and and bring it out so for a deep heartfelt thank you my friend thanks john no man i really appreciate that and uh thanks for all you're doing and for this opportunity to share with your constituents i I just i just believe the hearts of your listeners are in the right place and i just want to help catapult them to the next level so thank you for this opportunity all right thank you my friend all right buddy you take care thanks for listening to eternal leadership be sure to check the summary of this mp3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode by the way if you're a regular listener to eternal leadership could you give john and i a hand could you give us a rating and review on itunes it's how most people listen to podcasts and ratings and reviews help bump us up those charts The higher we are, the more people that will stumble onto us. If you don't listen through iTunes, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen, or just share it with someone that you think could really benefit from our topics and guests. Thanks. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.